Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here for Free For All Friday with George Mays. Morning. Good morning. And it's actually Thursday, which means it's my wife's birthday. Mm, happy birthday, Happy birthday Angie. to you, Angela. The greatest of all women alive. Trying to get into a fight this morning, nah. Jay. Shouldn't shouldn't every husband think that about their wife? Yeah. Mm. Yep. I'd hope so. Anyway. Yep. So here we are. Got to make this free for all Friday extra special. Yeah. Well, I've got a little bit of extra decoration behind me. Oh, I just thought of something. I just thought of something. Somebody wrote a comment. Oh yeah. To um, us and hadn't responded yet because it's been busy. But we probably could just answer it on here. Mm-hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull it up. Okay. But I just had that thought. But if we are, if you are there listening, um, we're not doing tulip. You may have come thinking, "Hey, this is a continuation." We're talking about the uh, the doctrines of grace, and and you know, just in one week's time, you know, we just decided, "Hey, we just don't believe that anymore," so we quit. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, we're gonna talk about. The, is that the comment? Did the, did the comment just say, well, have you guys considered John 3.16? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got us. You got us. Uh, now, we'll come back to ca- the, uh, the look at the five points of Calvinism Well, what next about whosoever, Friday. Jay? Hopefully next What about Friday. whosoever? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, packing it in now. Yep. yep, so that'll be back. We'll be back next Friday for that. So today, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, the revival, because I know people get, have questions about it. Then we have to talk about the He Gets Us campaign. Um, seen a lot about there about that. We had talked about that previously, but we'll we'll return. We'll we'll look at it to see uh, what what do we believe about that. So that's what we got today, George. We're gonna show ourselves to be curmudgeons. Curmudgeons. Uh, you guys, you guys don't like seeing Jesus ads on uh, during the Super Bowl. Well, here's the thing that I've always said the time, and I tell this to the, I told this to the uh, new members class. Um. This is past week. I was going over the gospel. You always have to ask somebody what Jesus. Right. That's where we are. You can't just say like there was a time where you said Jesus. Everybody knew who you were talking about. But today, there's like a uh, there's a different Jesus for everybody. Well, mm-hmm. not for everybody, but it's like the old household gods. You know, you know, back in the old Roman period, everybody had their old household gods, their family gods. Um, that's what we got today. In the in the Bible Belt, you got people like there's the Jesus of the Bible, the only real one, the one that actually is that exists even now is alive now, our Lord and Savior. Then there's the household gods, mm. Jesus, but th- they name him Jesus too. Yeah. So um, you can't just take for granted. People know what you what you mean when you say that when yeah. you say that name now. Mm-hmm. Um. So we'll talk about that ad campaign. Okay. Is it worthwhile? Is it worth spending? I think it's a billion dollar ad campaign. We'll have to might have to do some <clears throat> real time research in the moment. Well, I know that um, a thirty second spot for the Super Bowl this year was seven million dollars, mm. and they did at least two. Okay, so that's quite a bit of cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, I've got some. Uh, Special decorations behind me, apparently. You do. This was. Uh, are we pretty sure that it was Parker? That's my theory. Is that your theory? It's you know you you could say 
And I think it's uh, it's probably fifty fifty Philip or Philip or Parker. Yeah, it could be Philip. I don't know. Someone brought in a old fishing rod. You think it might be Aaron? No, no, I don't. I don't That's think not so. his style. I don't know. I don't know who who would. Do. He would be more of a memer. Yeah. Who mm. would be likely to bring in a real <laughs> live action meme? That's what that is. That's a Philip or Parker. I, I that's think. a li- that's I think a live be, action I think that'd meme be behind Philip you, or Parker. But uh, because you wanted me to reel you in on Tuesday, I don't think I did a very good job of doing that. But. You didn't. Uh, well, where, so do, where where do you want to start? Well, where do you want to start a, on this thing? I've got a meme that I got the question. I've got a, I've got a tw- well, I've got a tweet that uh, came out a few days ago that I thought that we could uh, we could show. Okay. Okay. Then we'll do this question. Or what? Sure. Sure. Uh, this was a tweet that it's real. <laughs> it's not it's not a parody. Okay. Uh, it's from a representative from South Dakota, I believe. Representative Erin uh, Healy. Uh-huh. And uh, she decided that she was just going to burn her Twitter account, I guess, with this, <laughs> with this tweet. <laughs> Extremist group Family Heritage Alliance said this morning that the safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and dad. What a dangerous and un-American belief. <laughs> it, it, it's dangerous, I guess, if you think America started five years ago. <laughs> Can you believe that these idiots are actually in charge of stuff? Can you? It's always women, too. What, here's what here's what's nuts about this, right? If you want to talk, if you want to know, like how how good is the devil at causing chaos? How good is he? Mm. Well, just watch women destroy like the thing that makes them the most unique and special. <laughs> yeah, the ability to have their have children and to raise children in a safe environment with a man. You be, you become like a. It's like he's got he's got he's like the greatest puppet master of all time, and they think they're championing women's <laughs> rights. By she got she so got nuts. Dude. She got ratioed into oblivion. She did? I didn't see a single a, <laughs> a single a single comment that was positive. <laughs> How do you get elected being this like being this stupid? You I, don't should, know. She, you I think she turned off comments. Here's what you should have to do, okay? Like, even if we could, okay. Like, I, I think all, all leaders should submit to Christ and become Christians, and and they should govern the world, and they should govern according to Christian principles. I think the world would be very good, actually. Indeed, I think it would be great. Um, but here's my appeal to you, secular humanist: just ask yourself this question: What happens to humanity if we let my worldview play out for the next hundred years? Well, what do we have? Uh, What's a human like that's not raised by uh, by parents, mm-hmm. mother and a father? We don't know because it's never happened in the history of mankind. What type of seri- how many serial killers do we have now? It's a lot more than it was fifty years ago. I'll tell you that probably because of pornography and a bunch of other stuff. But let's just raise let's just raise kids by robots, not by a man and a woman, maybe by two men. Maybe by maybe by two men, but one man looks like. Um, just keep what's them in, that? Just keep them in pods until they're twenty-one, and then you can just open the pod. Yeah, get to work. Yeah, raise them. Raise them by two men. One of the men, though, George, he looks like uh, he looks like the gremlin that dresses up like a, a mm-hmm. you know the one mm-hmm. lipstick. Um, everything would be fine, I'm sure. <laughs> let's re- let's not even actually have babies. Let's just grow them in a pod. Mm-hmm. 
Let's just grow them in a pod so women can be truly free and not have to have their body enslaved to the physical process of giving birth. You know what I mean? That's where we are. Yeah. Just ask yourself that question. Where are we going? Where, what's going to happen to us? Am I going to have? Are we going to start growing babies in pods now because uh, we think a man and a woman together is like unhealthy and un-American? Bro, we got some real dumb people, some really dumb people, and I mean dumb, just on. Yeah. Like if you got a group of non 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 believing people together, and they had to come up with a scheme. To let's see how quickly we can destroy humanity. Like that's what we see playing out in front of our eyes. But they think the deception is they think it's leading to human prosperity. Yeah. It's great is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. They think we're the dangerous ones. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, what you got? Oh, you okay, so here's the question. Hopefully this guy didn't you know what? I'm just gonna text him back right now. I'm gonna say about to ask your question <laughs> live. Look at this. This is real time. Right now, and just so he knows I'm not a jerk, I'm going to put a LOL at the end. How about that? <laughs> okay. That's I think this question is for you. This is for me? I believe it is. Uh... Where did it go? Did he delete it? Ow. Wait a minute. Dude, I think it's gone. I think it's gone. I And I just responded to the wrong guy. I did. <laughs> I did. That wasn't for you, man. I'm going to copy and paste it. Haha. <laughs> Yeah, I, I rep- here, here's the one I replied to. This is funny. This guy was on one of your sermons. Okay. Wait a minute. I thought you Calvinists don't believe God saves the elect with irresistible grace or what? This doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. I thought you were Calvinist. Don't you, here we go. Don't you believe God saves the elect with irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints? So God does it all and everyone else is just out of luck, right? So I don't get it. Well, that's from the Hebrews warning passage. Mm-hmm. He probably thought that all of a sudden you became inconsistent. Right. So hopefully you just listen to the next episode. Yeah. Um, but that was not the one I meant to respond to. Here's the one. <laughs> and I'm going to tell him. I'm going to type it, but I'll pose it first. Okay. Honest question. Okay. Please don't think that I am trying to be rude. And I think I've interacted with this guy before. I don't think he's trying to be rude. I think he's a real dude. But at the one hour, one minute mark, I'm proud of that because that means our podcast is long. Yeah. He says, that's the strength of the reform position is that you just read it and take it for what it says. If this is the case, and I believe that it is, why are there so many reform circles who hold to anything other than futuristic premillennialism? Mm. Um, and then he, will, he lists uh, MacArthur. I think it's a book of MacArthur he has listed here, quoted here, uh, when all other views require a spiritualizing of the text, so does this standard hold for everything except for eschatology? So I think that's a common, that would be a common uh, criticism of amillennialism. Mm-hmm. It seems in, you would take the literal 
reading of a text mm -hmm. at face value, and then there would be some spiritualization going on in some passages. So mm. we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, because we'll probably get to it when we do our eschatology <laughs> yeah, series, right. but maybe just quickly answer. I would just say from someone who's not all mill, mm. um, I think that's the initial perception, but once you read and understand more kind of what they're saying, you're saying you are taking it literally. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Uh-huh, yeah. Well, I mean, we can't, like you said, we'll, we'll, we're going to do an eschatology series and we can hash it out, I guess. <laughs> um, first, I would say that um, this, this uh, accusation that amillennial um, spiritualize things is, it needs to be maybe refined a little bit, because what do you mean by that? Because just because something is spiritual doesn't mean that it's not real. I think they would mean that you're taking kind of an allegorical approach okay. to some passages. Mm -hmm. um, so probably most obviously would be the millennium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that, which, which I don't know if that's the one that there is being thought of, but maybe. Which, I mean, if you get to... <laughs> the, same, the same critique can be applied to dispensationalism. Um, when you read the book of Revelation, unless you're someone like um, a Tim LaHaye, I guess, um, everyone everyone recognizes that the book of Revelation uses symbolism. Right. Like you get to Revelation chapter 9 and there's these demon locusts. And what does, what's Hal Lindsey do? It turns it into Apache helicopters. Mm -hmm. All, right. All right. Is that a literal hermeneutic? Or is he spiritualizing something? Right. You think that they may be the ones that do the uh, the story hour? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean... It, George, you missed my joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. What? What are the? What are the? Uh, what are the horsemen that have? They're riding these horses that are breathing fire, and their their tails are snakes. Like, are there? Is there actually a beast that's coming out of the sea? Are we? Are we to expect that? You know, before Christ comes, there's a sea monster that comes up and everyone starts worshiping it. I I would think that most people would say no, even even dispensationalists that right. that take a quote unquote literal hermeneutic. They'll say this this stands for like a a great leader, mm -hmm. right? A yeah. human, a human leader, right? Um, so let's let's be careful about the um, the accusation that all millennials spiritualize the text. Mm instead of taking it literally because okay. um i mean unless you take unless you take it in a, a like this is what it says this is what it means I think, um it, exactly as it as it says we we all are going to have to work with the text and i think that what what we mean by literal is we take it in its um as the literature mm -hmm. like what kind of literature is this Right. Is this? I mean, if we're if we're reading um, Joshua, the book of Joshua, and it says that Israel walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and shouted, and the walls came down. Well, it's that's written in historical narrative, uh -huh. and we should take it as this this happened exactly yeah. as it's written. But if we go to the book of Revelation, and it says that he saw um, a star falling. To uh, to Earth, and it had the key to the bottomless pit, and these demon locusts came out, and um, they had the uh, ability in their their tails to torment m 
anyone who didn't have the the seal of God on their forehead for five months and people sought death, but they couldn't find it. Um, we're in a book that's filled with symbols, mm. right? I mean, anybody who is reading the first part of the book knows when it says that he turned and saw Jesus standing there and he had a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. I don't, I've never met anyone. There's probably somebody yeah. that thinks, well, Jesus literally has a sword mm-hmm. that comes out of his mouth. Um, we, we all understand that we're, we're not reading historical narrative. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have to interpret the symbol. Right. And that's what all millennials are doing with, with uh, chapter 20 and the, the thousand years. Right. We're not saying, no, this isn't real. Well, all millennial, like no millennium is, it's, a, it's, it's not a good, not uh, a gra- it's not a great label because right. all millennialists do believe in a millennium. Um, it's the timing of the millennium that we're arguing. Right. It's not the, it's not the reality of Christ reigning for a thousand years. That's not, that's not what the, that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, pre-millennial and post-millennial actually believe in a millennium. All millennials don't. Right. No, we're just, we're just, what's the timing of it? Right. What's the timing of it? Um, and how are we supposed to read the book of Revelation? Uh, um, so, and we, I mean, again, I'm probably talking about well, this more than what, well, we'll have <laughs> what to, we we'll should have. A, but, we'll spend more time on it when we'll do, because we'll have a whole episode where we'll, we'll, you'll yeah. get to talk about all millennialism, and mm-hmm. we can bring up some of the questions I think that people might would have, because there, there are other verses, I think, not just that one, um, that they may bring up. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good one oh, yeah, to, yeah. to answer the question. Yeah, but it, it, I just... So the, you would just say... The, just, just the idea that we're spiritualizing, we're not taking it literally... Um, I, I just don't think that that's a, an accurate. I don't think that's a good argument. No, I, I, I can see. I I I understand when you go to a specific text, there are difficulties. But I would I would raise difficulties on the other positions also. No, none of them are like here's the silver bullet. That's why there's different. That's, well, why each, there's, that's why there's different positions. Each one of them kind of has a thing that is not completely worked out. Yeah, yeah. They, they all have strengths yeah. and weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but the idea that we're we're not reading it literally, um, it, it's just not a good argument. Some of it will come down to biblical interpretation and typology and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you you would uh, an accusation I think from a dispensationalist to you could be you don't believe that Jesus actually will inhabit David's throne. Mm-hmm. But I know probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you believe that uh, he does occupy David's throne right now. Right. I think that's what and, Peter says in, in, in Pente- at and, Pentecost. And one day the reality will be that he will rule mm-hmm. from the earth mm-hmm. in, a re- in a new recreated reality. Right. Um, and I don't think you'd have a problem with that even being from the location of Israel in the new uh-huh. world. No, I mean, I don't know what the... I don't know what the new wor- the new Earth is going to look like. Mm. Is it going to be the same continents? I have no idea. Is it going to be the same dimensions? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we yeah. don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Right. the The idea that all millennialists they spiritualize everything is not true because we hold that there is coming a literal new heavens and new earth. There's right. going to be new creation. Jesus is going to sit on his throne on a real earth mm-hmm. forever. Right. Uh, it's the timing. 
Yeah, it's the timing. Right. And the I think the I think the real issue is how do you read the Book of Revelation? Mm. Um, because all millennialists, we will read it in a different way than pre mill or post mill. Right. And um, so I I think I think the I don't know. Wait, we'll just have to hold All off. All right, we'll, we'll hold, off hold off. We'll hold off. But hopefully, that Hill. hopefully that answers the question of: Do we read it literally? We read it as literature, right? And we know, we know uh, instinctively, you don't read poetry like you read a newspaper, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, when you when you see this uh, the sea monster that comes out of the sea, John is not intending. To communicate that there's a sea monster you that's sure? going to, I'm I'm pretty you sure. sure. You sure reptilians I'm, I'm don't pre- live in the sea? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. They live in Washington D.C. Jay, everyone knows <laughs> that. Um, you know, so we we read it according to the literature, the the literary style, mm-hmm. and there are different literary styles. Even in the Book of Revelation, there's yeah. there's different literary styles. Yeah, it's it's a letter, but it's also uh, apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. And you don't if once you start reading apocalyptic the same way that you read historical narrative, you're going to run into some some wacky some wacky interpretations. Well, sh- what shall we do next? Shall we do? Uh, let's talk I about. Think the... Let's talk about Asbury first, and okay. then do uh, the he gets us. I, th- right. I think that right. we'll spend more time on the he gets us than we will on what's going on at Asbury. Okay. All right. Let's do that then. What do we want I feel to talk like I was about? super wordy with that answer. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how wordy you were. I <clears throat> made a little preview for people to tune back in, see what's coming. Yeah. All right. So Asbury, Asbury University. I don't know how con- how connected are the is the university and the seminary. They're right uh, next to each you other. You know, I'm yeah. just guessing it's a similar situation to what you would have in many of our seminary. Well, let's say our who we used to be former seminaries. The Southern Baptist seminaries, they have a college, and then mm-hmm. they'll have a seminary usually yeah. connected it's, right it's there Spur- to is, the college. Is Spurgeon College right next to Midwestern? Yeah, they're the same. Is it right? It's, yeah, they're all, I mean, they use the same spaces. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I know Boyce College is, I'll, it's, I'll do it's, ne- it's next to Southern, but it's it's kind of down a hill, so they've got some of their own buildings. I, oh, I'm not real? sure how much, I, I don't know how, how much of the buildings at Southern they use, but they're, there, Asbury, there is a dis- you you can see a distinction between Asbury the University and, the and uh, let's get directions here. So this is in Wilmore, Kentucky. Wilmore, Kentucky. I'm I'm not sure exactly where that is in relation to Lexington, but I, I'm it's pretty sure it's, it. I'm pretty sure it's it's pretty close. I don't think it's too far. Uh, go. <laughs> so they are right there. It's a one-minute walk, George. In case okay. you were wondering, that's how I figured that out. Google, okay. I told Google, take me okay. from Osbury University to the seminary. Okay. It's right there. All right. Yeah. Um, but this this is happening at the university chapel. Mm-hmm. Um. So when did this start? A week ago, I think so. Seven, yeah, maybe eight, seven, maybe eight days ago. Seven, eight days ago, maybe last Wednesday. Probably last Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. So chapel service. Uh, normal chapel service, but um, <clears throat> no one left. I guess. Well, no, I like everybody the, the chapel left. Service. But twenty. Okay. Twenty students. Okay. So the guy was like, got done with his sermon or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Uh-huh. 
And he's like, hey, for the students who want to stay around mm-hmm. and pray, right? you know, repent, seek God or whatever. So 20 stayed. There's a picture of it. Somebody took a picture. There's 20 people. And then within, you know, six, several hours, people started coming back mm. and it never stopped. Mm, okay. They never stopped coming back. Yeah. So they're having what nonstop services? I, sounds like it. Services. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering about. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it, is it going on all through the night? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, if you if you Google it, you can find pictures, video. Mm-hmm. If you're on social media, you, you probably. I mean, people are talking about it everywhere, right? And they're they're calling it a revival. Uh-huh. Um. So unlike the uh, pre-planned, like, right, right, it's not. Stuff. Yeah, this wasn't planned. It's like, it's spontaneous. Well, because around here, you know, every right. every oh, Southern yeah. Baptist church has a revival ah, every right. year. Revival we're having service. we're having revival. Mm. What do they mean by that? They're going to play a bunch of music, and they may have two or three sermons. Yeah, it's an extended. Yeah, couple of days. Yeah, usually. Yeah, so our conference would back in the it, day. Yeah, it would have been labeled if re- we we could have labeled it. A revival, and that's how they do. It, yeah, right. but we don't think you can plan revivals, right? Right. So, um, so you've got a little bit of of um, history uh-huh. about Asbury, right? Like they they had the they had a they had a revival back in 1970. Yes, is that right? Uh huh. 1970. Okay, and it was around the time of the Jesus movement kicked off. Uh huh. And I guess it kind of just threw some fuel on the fire of the okay. Jesus movement and. And all of that. So it's 53 years, same month, actually. So I don't know if that's what led to that Francis Chan prayer. Remember that thing? Because that he had planned before this happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that video you sent, it was Francis Chan, like, okay, do it again. It was called Do It Again. Uh-huh. Like, we're going to pray for God to do it again. Okay. I don't know if he was part of the initial thing at Asbury or not. Okay. Maybe it sounded like it. And then... Uh, before the date came around for them to do their special event, yeah, it already okay had happened. Um, all right, so this is this is being called a revival, um, but uh, as you as you you know can imagine on social media, there's all kinds of opinions, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I know it's surprising. You go on Twitter and there's uh, people that are super cynical and there's the people that are super into it yeah um so uh, we thought that we would talk about it just for a little bit uh-huh. um in case there's you know especially people at our church that are wondering about it right what do we think about it mm-hmm. what should we think about cases like this um you've got these extended services been going on for a week there's people that are traveling there there's people that are coming going back to their colleges and they're i mean there's some other colleges that are saying well the same thing is happening um i think uh, another co- i think another college in kentucky cedarville i think they uh-huh. they're they're reporting that this kind of stuff is is happening also so what should we think about something like this mm-hmm. what are your thoughts um, we're, we're certainly not in, infallible, so we we've got opinions, but doesn't mean that we're right. But we can kind of work through it a little bit, have a conversation about about this this specifically, but just kind of revival in in general. Um, well, so one of the problems I think that people have to move beyond if 
if they're if they are been Christians for a little while and are and are familiar with other air quotes supposed revivals like the Brownsville revival, mm-hmm. the Toronto airport revival, Toronto blessing. These were like charismatic revivals. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see those as and I don't see that as real real revivals. And people might take an exception with that, but if you look at those to see the fruit that came out of those, that would be evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Also, in a lot of kind of those more Revivals like that, the emphasis was not on repentance, um, nor was the focus really Jesus. The focus itself was the Holy Spirit. Mm. That doesn't seem to be the case with this revival. This Mm. Osbury, what's happening at Osbury, doesn't seem to be like we're going to uh, have this centered upon this anointed leader. Mm -hmm. And that was Brownsville, and that was Toronto. Mm these anointed man of God who has some some supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit like no, nobody else has, but that that anointing then can spread to other people mm-hmm. by touch. Right. It was by touch back then. Like mm-hmm. if you touched the man, it could spread to you. You could touch other men or women, right. it would spread to you. you. You see this in the Word of Faith stuff all um, the time. I mean, Benny Hinn will touch somebody, and if they touch somebody, they'll fall over. And right. Yeah. That's kind of stuff. But it was some type of anointing impartation that people thought if they went to that location, they could get it, they could take it back, but they had to be touched, the pastor touch. But the focus there wasn't repentance-based, and it wasn't really Jesus-focused. Mm. It seems to me that the Asbury uh, is is Jesus-focused. From what I'm reading from other people, mm-hmm. it seems to be focused on Jesus. It doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem to be a lot of. There's no. There's not chaos. Mm-hmm. So it's there's there seems to be some freedom in worship, but it's not disorderly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Even if it doesn't happen exactly how like hey would we we think this is how it should look <laughs> right just because it doesn't match how we think it should look doesn't mean that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um. But there are there are some things I think to be to be aware of when you start to think about it. One thing I'm concerned with is people thinking they can go and catch it. Mm-hmm. That's you know the my background of coming up right. around in that and kind of I grew up in the army chapels. But when we weren't army chapels, I was around some of the more charismatic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole the Holy Spirit's not like a virus that you catch mm. by touch, right? right? Um, what God's doing there, He can do in your church too. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't require you to go physically be there and to catch it. Yeah, you you can see that with the the first great awakening, uh-huh. right? It was it was popping up kind of spontaneously all around New England. It wasn't one guy. It wasn't Jonathan Edwards going or right. people coming to Jonathan Edwards Church and going back and they've caught the fire and right. It it was it it was just kind of from place to place, spontaneously unplanned. And twelve twelve percent right? of. Uh, Adults were converted. I thought it was fifteen. Is it fifteen? That was fifteen percent. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Imagine fifteen percent of the U.S. population being converted. Right. So mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully, maybe that would happen. But this yeah. this seems to me to be not something like the Great Awakening. It seems to be more like right. other college revivals mm-hmm. that have happened in America. America has a very revivalistic mm-hmm. history culture. It's part of uh, American Christianity. Uh, revivalism. You know, Ian Murray wrote a book called Revivals and Revivalism, uh-huh. and it's worth uh, 
it's a, worth that's reading. A great, that's a great book. Mm-hmm. It is very yeah. much worth reading. It's a good balance too, because you know, reform people, they they sometimes they now they would never say this, George, but they seem to be a little bit scared of uh, what the Holy Spirit might do. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like it might make you a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Murray's book can help you there. So can William C. Burns' book, God's Polished Arrow. It's probably one of the books that I'm surprised nobody nobody reads it, but that's because my uh, professor who wrote it, he's not famous. He's not popular. Um, but that's a great book. But, you know, they were, he was put under investigation on those revivals that broke out in Scotland because of people's uh, repentance, their tears and their weeping. And it was so out of the ordinary, it made their, uh, I guess the presbyteries were uncomfortable with what was happening. So just because it makes you uncomfortable, you know, you're not the measure of what what God's gonna gonna do mm-hmm. or what He's doing. Mm-hmm. But it looks like to me, it's like uh, I was reading about. There've been some other revivals that broke out. I think it was Wheaton. Yeah. And the the, the guy who wrote it said that if you look back historically, similar revivals happen at Wheaton about every thirty years. Mm. And he said that means that they're due in the next couple of years. I think two years they're mm. due to have. They would be due to have one. Not to say that they're not real, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So uh, is it? I think likely. I think it's likely a, a real. Uh, I think it's real and authentic because if you remember, like if it's focused on Jesus, hmm. a uh, a false revival is not going to be focused on Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. And if it's if it's scripture based, people are. Even if it's not, you know, expository preaching according to our tradition, um, I think we should be open to understanding that God that God has and does use means that are outside of how we think it would happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. people that listen to us are probably Reformed, probably Calvinistic. We probably think, well, if this was real, it would have happened in a Reformed church, right? You know what I mean? Instead of a Wesleyan, instead of a Wesleyan church, right? right. right. When it, whereas we know uh, George Whitfield and Wesley were both part of mm-hmm. Great Awakening. Yeah, they were on different ends the spectrum theologically. Um, so I've got some thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to organize them in my brain. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I would say is we're not there. So we don't have firsthand knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I, would, I, would, I, guess, I guess kind of a, a word for people who would swing too far to either side. Um, the first, I guess, first would be a word of caution. Um, I'm... Well, even the 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 president of the yeah, uh-huh. he released a statement right? saying this is great. Yeah, and but- I, I and I've been encouraged by some of the statements that's coming that are coming out. Yeah. Um, so, word of caution is that we don't want to just um, get caught up in emotions. <clears throat> yeah. Right, and. I'll talk about emotions on the other side also because 
revival is going to come with emotion, I think. I mean, you hear the the reports of Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God, and we probably would, if we were there, we'd probably be like, this is charismania. Right. <laughs> like, the people are crying out and falling down and and uh, all kinds of stuff. There's uh, lots of emotions. Right? Uh-huh. But we don't want to... We don't want to say, well, there is a lot of emotions. People are crying and holding, you know, hugging and and falling down and all of that, and that means that there's like true revival. Well, that stuff happens every week, right, in America, right, uh, in variety of charismatic churches. And there's there's you know some of the reports are you can really feel you can really feel this mm-hmm. this presence, right? Um, and one of the people that posted that they went and felt that was. Todd Bentley, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we talked about him on on Tuesday. He's not he's not a reliable source, so he can go and he can feel you know something, and he still he still holds to the same bad theology, right? So that's that's not the measure, uh-huh. right? My 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 I guess my biggest. My I guess my personal biggest criticism is I, I listened to the the chapel sermon mm-hmm. and it was this strange mixture of like non-serious like bantering with the mm-hmm. with the the congregation like he'd make jokes and stuff um, coupled with I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was like um, exegesis, like we would do. Mm. More application. Okay. Of some verses um, about love from Romans chapter twelve, our love is supposed to be genuine without mm-hmm. hypocrisy. Um. So it was it it was it was weird. It was weird, but I mean, again, God can do whatever He wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Holy Spirit can bring revival whenever however he wants um it's it was just weird that the sermon that these students heard before that was um i mean he was it's almost like the guy had add (laughs) points like he he saw like a screw on the ground and he like stopped what he was saying he's like oh there's a screw on the ground and it was just weird You, you can go watch it um it's on youtube um as it was only about 20 minutes long so that that was that was kind of the thing that was kind of the weirdest to me. Mm. But again, God can do whatever He wants. Yeah. Um, and then I I keep running across things like this. I I found this uh, this tweet this morning, and um, I guess the president of the student body went on Tucker Carlson. Oh, I did see that. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I've got I it up that. on the screen if you want to pull it up there. Uh, I don't know who this person is that that tweeted this the asbury student body president was just on tucker and said this verse is the theme for what's going on um and habakkuk chapter one verse five um the lord the lord's answer look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for i am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told do you want to see that video Sure. Do you have it? I can send it to you. You can open it on your Twitter because oh, yeah? because my is not plugged in. Okay. So you can. I mean, it, it just shows how. I mean, it's on Tucker Carlson. Like everybody's talking about it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, let me let me send this to you, Giorgio. Okay. And you can pull it up. Um. So things like that make me want to be 
cautious. There you go. It just came. So yeah, I mean, I did I, you send uh, it on Twitter? I sent it to DM to you on on Twitter. Yeah. Right. One of the things for me that again, like, like I, I don't want to say that it's not. So don't hear me say that. But mm. I do find it interesting that the movie uh, trailers have dropped mm-hmm. that were promoting the the Jesus movement. Yeah. Which you know what kind of sparked and fueled that mm. Jesus movement was the first Osbury revival. Right. So that trailer drops. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, remember when God did this great thing here? And then all of a sudden, at the same place that it happened before, it happens again right after the trailer drops for the movie. Yeah. So I'm not saying it, it was uh, right forced or manufactured, it's just a little curious to me. Yeah. All right. Here's the. But, but for I want to answer your thing where you said about the preaching. Oh yeah. It looks like he's done, and uh-huh. and it and it started maybe by these uh, when these twenty students were praying. They were just praying and seeking God. <clears throat> yeah. And so maybe they would say, well, it wasn't the preaching that sparked this revival. Mm-hmm. It was the prayer and the these mm-hmm. twenty seeking out. Seeking God's face that mm-hmm. brought this that this revival came through. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, here's the here's the video. And a lot of people are starting to figure that out. And the good news is, a lot of people are starting to think more about what happens when you die. They're becoming much more interested in the spiritual life, which has been basically extinguished in the public square for a long time. So here's a sign that people are becoming more interested. Asbury University, which is a private Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky, outside Lexington, began hosting a prayer service a week ago, but it never ended. It's still going on. People just keep showing up from around the world. The university has even set up overflow chapels to accommodate demand. Here's what it looks like. So we keep hearing about this, there haven't been many news stories on it, but it's all over social media, on TikTok actually, of all places, and reports that people are flying in from Singapore and New Zealand to join whatever this is. And so we thought it'd be worth finding out, what is it? Allison Perfader is the student body president at Asbury University, and she joins us. Hey, Allison, you're so nice to come on, thank you. What, it, what is this, do you think? Right, what is this? That's what we can... I mean, that's the question, right? And um, a, a theme or a Bible verse that we've all been sharing with each other is Habakkuk 1. And the Lord says, look at the nations and watch for I'm doing something in your day that you wouldn't believe if you were told. And it's happening and we can hardly believe it. Okay. Well, it seems remarkable. I mean, so many stories you see, them, you keep that's all? very different. I'm not quite sure what it means, but it's worth learning more. So my understanding is this began in a completely conventional service and a boy got up and started talking about his own flaws and then it just something changed in the atmosphere and it never ended is that fair that's completely what happened um so here at asbury university three mornings a week we have chapel at 10 a.m sharp the whole student body gets together and we 
we sing praise to the Lord and we hear a message from a speaker and for seemingly no reason at first on on Wednesday February 8th it didn't end and that's that's kind of the logistical side of what's been going on and then you know on the on the deeper side of things what's been happening here since Wednesday is there's a there's a young army of believers who are rising to claim Christianity the faith as their own as a young generation and as a free generation and that's why people can't get enough that's amazing so you felt like something like this was going to happen because everything finds equilibrium, I think. Who are the people who are coming? Where are they coming from? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, we don't know most of them. Um, we've obviously been getting calls, hundreds of calls to the university switchboard number, um, but we have friends here from Brazil, from Indonesia, um, almost every state, um, and, and they just keep coming. and. And it's no wonder, you know, and it's like you said, I mean, especially in the midst of tragedies like what we've seen in Michigan State University and, and even yeah. farther back to 2020, especially our generation was impacted so much. And so you have to wonder, you know, what's going to break? And in this case, the Holy, the Holy Spirit has interceded for us here at Asbury and, and across the nation. I assume you don't know how long this will continue? Uh, I could not tell you, and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to guess. <laughs> no, you, you wouldn't. Allison, thank you. Great to see you. All right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're young, so there's going to be some immaturity. Right. Um, Habakkuk that, one. That, yeah, the Habakkuk one is not... Let's hope she's not a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that yeah, the Babylonians are coming. Yeah, yep. um, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disparage them just it's, because they're young. You know, what's an interesting phenomenon for me to think back. Um, like my dad used to go and he'd preach at these black churches, mm. and they worship like that all the time. Yeah, they have like a three-hour worship service. Mm. Uh, very, I like, I like, uh, I like black worship. When we go, when we you know we're in heaven, if they got it broke up in styles, you probably find me over there. <laughs> you ever been black church? Yeah. So you know, like I like their, I like the way they worship. They just is very celebratory, and mm-hmm. but they'll they'll worship for like three hours like that every Sunday. Um, and it's very they they really mean it. Mm. It's very authentic. Uh, and there are churches like that, not just black churches. There are white churches like that. They're all over the place. They have that type of freestyle of worship. So we can't get, we can't like say this is super special. Mm-hmm. I think this is one thing that's concerning to me. This is super special, but like maybe something that has been happening for the past forty years that you know the master at well, it's it's, it's terrible, John MacArthur, right? Mm-hmm. But having five thousand pastors worship God for literally like four days straight. The singing there is unreal, dude. You get 5,000 men singing with all of their hearts. Um, but that's like no attention. We're, meanwhile, these men will leave that place and fly all over the world and go back like, you know, with a passion and invigorated and preaching and being bold with the gospel and having orderly churches wherever they go. Mm-hmm. That's not special. right? You see what I mean? It's like a very... Uh, <clears throat> yeah. There's something that that makes people want to not look at the ordinary means that God uses to grow his church and yeah, to save that, people and then to latch onto this right. as like a 
this thing is our greatest hope since, mm. you know, Charles Spurgeon right. uh, stepped into the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Right. Like it's a, it's a. This, you see what uh, I mean? Yeah. Um, this this kind of this kind of event is not the norm. Yeah. Nor do I think that we should expect it to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, if God if God does do something special like this and it's it's genuine, then we should thank Him for His grace and His mercy towards us in allowing us to experience something like this. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't happen, um, the the normal Christian life is not something to scoff at. It's not it's not something to say. Well, we we don't have these kinds of of outpourings of the spirit and and emotions and and all of these things and so um, something must be wrong. It, the the Christian life is um, it's filled with ups and downs, and it's not it's not all mountaintop experiences. A lot of it's in the valley. Yeah. Um, and the the mountaintop is when we see Christ. <laughs> that's, yeah. You know that's that's when the that's when we never we never have to leave His presence. Um, but the the normal Christian life is it's like a roller coaster. I mean, it's just yeah. it's ups and downs, and um, we thank God for the times when we're you know we we experience you know maybe special grace, but uh, we also thank Him for His presence when we're going through the valleys. So we don't have to you don't have to go here to you know to get something. Y- yeah, you can be thankful for where God has placed you and. I think um, I, I was reading. Um, I was reading an article, Baptist Press article, which is always kind of hit and miss. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were quoting um, uh, uh, Jim Elif and uh, my former pastor um, in Kentucky, Tim Booker, um, who did his uh, his THM. Right. He did his thesis on on, it, yeah. on the 1970. Uh-huh. The 1970. So he's he's got some. Um, some background right. on this, and um, the the question was: Is there something about the Southern Baptist theology that that keeps that would prevent revival? Oh. Because you know you you hear you hear of things like at Asbury at Wheaton, but you don't hear of stuff at like you know Midwestern, right? Like you don't have like there there's not well there too in, in the in the history of the seminaries, right? There hasn't been something like this, right? Right. Um, but that's because uh, that's Rick Warren trained more pastors right. than anyone in history. <laughs> so all, we don't need it. It's all, yeah, right? it's all been. Um, and uh, a lot of what, uh, what they said, I, I think, is I think it's true. They said that you know the Southern Baptist Convention, it's been big and prosperous, and and um, you've got these six seminaries that are training all these pastors, and and the numbers are there. And um, when you when you get that way, you can kind of forget that it's god who is uh, who you you are dependent dependent on mm-hmm. right so there there is a sense in which um that that can prevent something like a revival from happening because right. you don't you don't think that you need revival well they've yeah. got these revival meetings but they don't they don't actually feel like they're we planned. need revival yeah, they're because, like planned. They're not. because well we've got all these programs and and you know we we're baptizing people, and there's the numbers, right? Um, so we we should we should I, I think we we prayed for at our, at our prayer meeting last night. We talked about it a little bit, and we we prayed for a revival. Uh-huh. I don't think it's something that we shouldn't pray for, 
But I think that at the same time, we should we should remember that the the ordinary Christian life should be one of humbling ourselves and repenting and right. and uh, and being obedient to God's word and, and being faithful where we right. are, uh, regardless of something like this. You know that uh, I'll plug that book by Ian Murray again, uh, Revivals and Revivalism, and he's got five kind of characteristics. If you look historically at uh, revivals that have taken place that have seemed to be genuine and real, mm. authentic, and produce lasting fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are five, um, so I'll just summarize it, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go read the book. I'll give you the five. But as I give the five, think about this. Um, we ought to be seeking these things in our own life, mm. no matter where we are. Like We ought to that would be our pursuit, is to pursue these things. So it's revival in your own soul. Mm. Uh, so you don't need to go catch it, catch it. And I don't like people saying that. We, like, <laughs> go catch it. Like, what are you talking about? How are you going to call God a nit like that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so let's catch repentance. Maybe if you want to refer to repentance as a nit, I can get on board with that. But here's a five. Deep conviction of sin. So, so one of the hallmarks of true revival is that there's a d- deep sense of conviction of sin. You can see it, you know, in the preaching of Edwards and all that stuff. People fall on the ground, right, aware of their sin. It's a trauma of the holy begging God to save them from their sins, um, and it's it's heightened by uh, this this uh, sense that God is holy, imminently holy. So. I'm hoping that's what's going on there. I'm not there. I don't know. Some people have said that 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 is going on there, some people that we trust, so I believe that. So that's a good sign. Um, and and you'll no, you'll notice people trying to hijack this. Well, I say hijack it, criticize it, the gays, right? This isn't a real revival unless these uh, these white devils repent of their not accepting and being a safe space for homosexuals. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> We're not we're not looking for like a, a homosexual revival here. We're looking for like an actual revival, which means that those people would be deeply convicted of sin and flee sin and turn to Christ. Mm-hmm. You're asking for the exact opposite. It's almost like you're talking for Satan or something. Kind of crazy, right? <laughs> uh, same thing with, with. Have you seen people say uh, about the social justice? This ain't a real revival till these till these white people repent of their. Uh, Abusing of the black community. Well, that's what um, that's what old Kyle Howard <laughs> was. Oh, goodness. Any quote revival among white people that doesn't bring with it a deep love for black people, zeal to divest from white power, and a passion for social justice is not a revival. It's merely a face a faith based euphoric experience. Yeah. Spoiler: The Great Awakening wasn't great or an awakening. Black people still had chains. Yeah, and he was obviously like, and then people were like, then, then people were like, well, whoa, like, what are you saying about the Asbury revival? And he, <laughs> to be clear, I'm not following whatever ha- is happening at Asbury. It seems like folk just assumed my tweet was targeting them. It's like, obviously, come on, come on man. <laughs> he's super, he's super racist, man. You know, they're obviously, I think the demographics there at Osbury are probably more white, but I've seen a lot of, there's a lot of our black brothers, sisters there, they're there and they're leading worship even mm. in some of those videos. So Howard, he's just, he's just racist. Mm. Uh, but deep conviction of sin, number one, and, and a heightened sense of God's holiness. Uh, I think 
which one came first? Probably the heightened sense of God's holiness. Then that led to a deep conviction of sin. Then there's humility. There's a type of humility and brokenness. That's what he says, number two. Uh, that people would humble themselves, not just people being converted, but actual believers humbling themselves. And uh, there's a renewed focus on the need of God, like our deep dependence and need of Him, mm-hmm. which gets kind of gets to what you were saying about maybe in the SBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they they like to brag. There's fifteen. They're fifteen million. They got deep pockets, mm-hmm. but their humility, brokenness, dependence on God. Number three. Ian Murray observes in history that there's an increased love for God and for others. A genuine revival increases one's uh, love of God and a concern for the salvation of other people. And that usually, he says, leads to an increased evangelistic zeal and outreach where their love for their fellow man compels them to share the gospel with the lost. Again, you think about these things, these are things we should be seeking in our own life. Right, right. Every, uh, wherever we are. Uh, the fourth is reconciliation and unity. He says, a true revival will bring about a spirit of reconciliation and unity among believers, and this can lead to breakdown of barriers between different denominations and renewed commitment to working together for the sake of the gospel. And I think you can see that historically where uh, different denominations will reach out and cooperate with each other in, in their efforts of evangelism and missions. Um, together. Number five, the fruit of the Spirit. A genuine revival, he says, will be manifested by the fruit of the Spirit as described in Galatians 5, 22-22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this becomes evident in the revival and continues after the revival. So, um, and he says this list is not exhaustive, but these are the five common things that happen yeah. in a genuine revival. So the president of the school said kind of something similar. Mm-hmm. This seems to be that God is moving here, but we need to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, will it produce fruit? If it produces fruit, right. then it was a revival. Right. I think it's kind of what he was, mm-hmm. what he said, which is yeah. encouraging to see that. Yeah, I... I I mean, it seems like um, the leadership there is um, trying to keep it orderly. Um, they're, you know, they're not just letting anybody come in and just you, take the stage, and uh, they're not trying. You know, they're not letting it get out of control. And oh, you know, it, it seems from the list that you read, um, the things I'm seeing, I, I would tend to be hopeful. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we we need to. I, I was talking to to one of our brothers here, um, and I said, I think that we in our in the American Christian culture have a, a cynicism because of the charismania uh-huh. that's just widespread. Right. Um, the uh, the the really weak evangelical theology that we see, uh-huh. um, the the liberalism that comes in. Um, so I think when we see something like this, we're we're really cynical about. Well, is this real? Because you know, could just be hyped emotions. It could just be surrounded. You know, listening to the sermon before. <laughs> is it just all about you know, um, feel good love? And they right. just they you know they're just hugging on each other and they're you know, um, is this going to produce fruit? I mean, are they are they like you know? Well, God is love. Love is love. You know. You know whatever. Right. Yeah, so I think we've got a, a, a cynicism, and we have to guard against that. It's really easy to fall into that cynicism. Uh-huh. I think we can be cautious and have a you know a wait and see 
this isn't happening here. It's not directly affecting us. So we don't have to go on social media and just blast them. We don't we don't really have to go on social media and, and do anything com- and comment at all because it's not it's not what's going on here is not directly affecting us. Right. And we're we're not the we're not the shepherds of this of these people. Well um but I think we can also be ho- I think we can be hopeful that God would would do something to bring a, a revival or an awakening amongst mm-hmm. his people and um it's really easy to to get into this pessimistic hopelessness for america but god can do what god wants to do right and we can pray that god would bring a revival in america and that that the course that we're we're heading towards would be would be turned around it'd be stopped yeah. and turned around so I, I think that we can we can be cautious but hopeful and not um cautious and and cynical mm mm-hmm. God can do what he wants. I mean, God could raise up an army of George Whitfields and Wesleys um, from both sides of that spectrum, theological Mm -hmm. spectrum, and he could evangelize the world within one generation. Think about 1,000 George Whitfields unleashed on the world. Mm. Yeah, Gospel will be unstoppable, man. It's only in God's strange providence that he has decided not to do something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, and that gives opportunity to regular people like you. To share the gospel, mm-hmm. because if there were a thousand George Whitfields, there wouldn't be anybody left to evangelize, <laughs> right? So you would miss out on that great opportunity. Yeah, if, if there's a, a thousand George Whitfields, who's going to throw a dead cat at you, Jay? I know. <laughs> you got to get in on that action. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't like this tweet from from Justin Peters. I mean, I, I'm a Justin Peters fan, yeah. but I didn't like this tweet. Uh huh. Um, he he wrote, um, "I'm in Israel." So he's he's over there with a group in Israel right now, which is pretty cool. If you go look at some of his tweets about that, he was worried that he'd be a um, a burden to the group. He wouldn't be able to get to places, and it's it's been really cool to see how the people have been helping him, and mm. he's been able to see see everything in Israel. Right, but he's in Israel. Uh, I'm not been able to read much yet on what is happening at Asbury. I hope it is real, but I'm very cautious. He wrote this article. Here's why you should be very skeptical of the supposed Asbury revival. He said, Todd Bentley is going. If someone that dark stays and is comfortable there, that won't be a good sign. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think it is either. I don't think that's necessarily true. I, th- I, think, Where, I think I think we have a great I think we have a great church. Uh-huh. And I think that our services are we try to be very um very Christ centered, very scripture centered. We we have a lot of prayer we try to be um uh open to to the spirit um i think we we're we're calling people to repent um but does that mean that there won't be hypocrites here right or or unbelievers that well there's i mean we've we've had people we've had people here that have that have said well i just i i really like the service but we know that they're not a believer. Jesus gave a parable yeah. about the wheat and the chaff. I think that shows that his tweet is inaccurate because according to Jesus, there'll be unbelievers mm-hmm. that'll sit in your church right. till the day they die. Yeah. And only and, and he separates them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'll separate them sometimes in this life through various means, but sometimes not till the end and the angels will sift that out, mm-hmm. sort it all out, divide us yeah. up at the end. So that that just doesn't work. And also if you're the devil that slimy, no good piece of trash, uh, what would you do? You'd send your operatives there to try to uh, derail it, Mm. discredit it. You'd try to turn it to LGBTQ affirming. Mm. 
you try to manipulate. You you would right. try your best. So yeah. hopefully, those people, God will be gracious and keep those people away mm-hmm. um, from that. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we run out of time because I don't have time. It's Angie's birthday, so I can't okay. do a two hour today. I got okay. I've got stuff to do, George. Okay. But um, maybe fifteen minutes, I think, would be good to. Kind of one of the themes here was uh, we're not there, and so we can't mm. we can't say we can only trust kind of what people say, and it's not good to maybe overthink a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we could say, yeah, hopefully so, but let's segue into talking about the John MacArthur thing briefly because oh, the okay. he gets us. We're not going to get to that. Okay, yeah, uh, we'll have to come back to it some other time. Okay, unfortunately, because we ran out of time, but well. Let's go to John McCarthy. But first, just people, <laughs> okay, people right. might just want to know what do you think about he gets us. Let's do that real quick. He gets us. All right. I'll give you. I'll give you my my biggest biggest. I mean, I didn't go through every article. Okay. But all right. I come. I always come back to uh, who, what Jesus. Who are you talking about? Well, the, I feel the, like the, they, so. I've, so everything I'm seeing on social media where people are criticizing it is the comments. Well, shouldn't we be happy that that the name of Jesus has been shown to, you know, millions of people during the Super Bowl. Well, right? as you know, so they had, they had the, they had, uh, I think they only had two ads during the Super Bowl. Uh, um, one of, the, <laughs> one of them I want to show, um, because I think it's just so funny, but, um, the, the criticism is, you know, why wouldn't you want, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want something like this shown at the Super Bowl? And it's not, I think it's distracting from the the main issue that people are criticizing. We're not criticizing the fact that there was a commercial that was about Jesus during the Super Bowl. Um, it's it, like you said, it's what Jesus, right? And the, the, it's, it's what what are they saying about Jesus? Is it the uh, the real Jesus? If they're if they're using the name, Christ, I mean, let's let's say that the the um, you know the Mormon the Mormon tabernacle they. They said, hey, we've got, you know, we could do an ad campaign during the Super Bowl, and it's going to be all about Jesus. Would we be excited about that? Oh, of course not, because no. they, they, they preach a different Jesus. So just because there's an ad that has the name Jesus doesn't mean that we should all of a sudden be super excited and say this is the, the best thing because all these people now know that there's, you know, there's a church that that wants to invite them to hear more about Jesus. Right. No, we don't. We don't want people to go to the Mormon church to hear about their Jesus. Right. I'll distill it down at its most basic level: is this? It's it, it, and in my view, it is the exact opposite of what's happened at uh, what's gone on at Asbury. Mm-hmm. It's the belief that we could bring in a revival through marketing. Mm. Well, what we see here, everybody leaves. There's like 20 students hanging around praying. And then all of a sudden now there's like thousands of people and you know, Lord willing that it, it this is the this is real. Yeah. And I don't have any reason to doubt it. As we said, we go through those five things. It seems to be what's happening there. No marketing, right? Twenty people, everybody else leaves. Mm. But somehow we think, and it, it, I think it's kind of like uh, even even people that are reformed, though they would profess that you can't market Jesus, can somehow think well. Maybe if we just got better word out about these things or about our church or about this event, then we'd get more people. More people would hear. Um, I just don't. I don't think that this works. You know, um, there's also this idea behind the ad campaign is that the church hasn't represented Jesus well, mm. so people don't like Jesus. Yeah. 
the church has been bad marketing for Jesus. Right. So people are turned off to him. Mm-hmm. So we'll do an ad campaign called He Gets Us. We'll show how he understands what it's like to you know suffer, to experience pain, death of other people. And then people can identify with that Jesus. And so we'll... We'll give him a better name than the church has given him. Do, do we want to show one of these ads? They're only a minute long. Might as well. We'll do. We, maybe long. we can do the MacArthur thing some other time. We'll okay. do this one now. Okay. I guess. All right. Well, this uh, this one is called dinner party. Okay. You have to turn it up. I like dinner parties. Yeah. A caring man took a walk. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high. Hope dwindled. Hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. I'll bring them together and feed them. Around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. Shared struggles, shared joy, shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. All right, so so here's the problem with a, a campaign like campaign like this, these, these commercials, is it presents the church as not like that. Yes, the church is not like that. They're not the church is not welcoming of outsiders, of people who have different beliefs as mm-hmm. them. And of course, the angle of this is on um, progressivism. Mm-hmm. Like so, the church obviously isn't welcoming. They say to homosexual people, mm-hmm. LGBTQ people, trans people, or, or they might would say white people. You're not welcoming to black people. They might could also say black people, you're not welcoming to white people. But it's the show to present the church as flawed, a flawed representation of what Je- who Jesus actually was. And so here's who Jesus really was, and you should want to get to know him. In other words, the world, if they knew who Jesus was, would love him. Right. Now that's a big problem, George. That's a big, big problem, my friend. Um. I'll come to John 15, and I want to read it, and I also want to go to John 6, because I think John 6 fits in perfectly. We're talking about feeding people and what Jesus is getting at. But this is on from their—you go to their He Gets Us website, which is what I think they're hoping people will do. They'll go click on the articles when you read. So you read this one on the dinner table, and at the end of it, it says this, The name of Jesus has been used to harm and to divide. But if you look at how he lived, you see how backward that really is. Jesus was not exclusive— he was radically inclusive. And what would the world look like if we were like that, George? Mm. Okay, so here's a big problem, all right. Number one, the world is never going to like Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Right. No matter what you do, you could give to 5,000 different charities, a billion dollars each, you could open a soup kitchen. You could ser- You could do all of the things that the world says you should be doing. The world will still hate you. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So you, if you start a campaign with the idea that the world will love Jesus if we just get him out there better, you're wrong. The world hates Jesus, the real one. The world 
hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. A servant is not greater than its master. Than his master. So the Jesus of the Bible will always be hated. Mm-hmm. And not only will he all be hated, he's radically exclusive. <laughs> and I mean radically. Now he is inclusive to all humanity that any sinner can come to him. He'll include anyone in that. He's not going to discriminate. He's not. He doesn't have pet sins that are worse than others, right? He's not going to say, "Oh, you were greedy, but you repented. Come to me and find rest." Mm-hmm. But you're gay. You're not welcome. That's mm-hmm. not Jesus. Right? He's radically inclusive in that, but he's radically exclusive, especially when it comes to uh, feeding people. In John six, <laughs> Jesus had everybody come to this big table in John six, didn't he? They, uh, uh, they're out on. Uh, by the Sea of Galilee. And in in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. They're on the other side of the sea. And it's a famous story. Everyone knows it. You know, they don't have, they don't have, they don't have bread. They don't have fish. And then Jesus just feeds this massive crowd. And after he feeds them, and we're not talking about the religious elite. Like, he didn't exclude anyone from this, whoever was there. These are the common folks, the common people. They're ready to make him king afterward. Let's make him king. So he has to separate himself because they're trying to force, they're trying to try to force him to become king and overthrow Rome. Um, and he's like, that's not, you know, why I'm here. So he separates so they can't do that, crosses the sea, but everybody follows him to the other side of the sea and they want more food again. They want to see him do a big sign, a big miracle again. And then Jesus launches into this teaching about his gospel and his kingdom. It's filled with open invitations for people to come to him, to receive him. And of course, you know, as he begins to speak of himself as bread from heaven, um, he is the true bread. If anybody eats of him, they'll live forever. And when Jesus is done speaking to the regular people who he welcomed, these are the people that he sat with at the tables, right? But on this massive scale, they all leave. And why do they leave? Because of his radical exclusive message of salvation through him alone. That is the exact opposite of he gets us campaign. If Jesus appeared right now in America, he would welcome everyone to him. He'd preach the same message, and apart from the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit, the same result would occur. Well, you know, the that commercial, it seems to me that they are um, taking it from the parable of the wedding feast. He invites right. people. Uh-huh. Well, well, listen to the parable of the wedding feast. Probably also would they they accused him of eating with tax collectors, uh-huh, tax collectors yeah. and sinners, mm-hmm. and he's you know yeah the parable of the wedding yeah. feast right uh-huh. the, the the king he throws a party and he a invites dinner party right invites yeah. everybody that Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come that's that's what they said in the commercial right right. They had the person, God hates you. Right. Yeah. Uh, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, 
The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Mm. He gets us. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the idea that Jesus, he just welcomes everybody and all you got to do is, is come um, and he gets, he gets us. He just, you don't have to, there's no, there's no kind of repentance. There's no, there's no need on your part for, <clears throat> it's, it's more like Jesus is, you need Jesus for acceptance, uh-huh. not, not you need Jesus for atonement. Yeah. Like you're a sinner separated from God. You, you, you can't come to the wedding feast <laughs> because right. you don't have the wedding garment. Mm-hmm. What you need is the death of Christ on your behalf. You need mm-hmm. his righteousness imputed to you so that you can stand before the king right right um that's that's all missing from all of these ads mm-hmm. it's more of well here's somebody that understands where you are and he will accept you no matter what every all these you know church church people say he, he doesn't put any demands on you right where's 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 the the jesus who is king uh-huh right Right. It, well, it is a. Uh, I think it's good to emphasize the humanity of Christ. This is one of the great. Um, I should. I could crap my uh, my dissertation back here. It's behind me. You can't see it. But I got a chapter in there on Charles Spurgeon preaching on the problem of evil and suffering, mm. um, and his method. Absolute sovereignty of God. Amazing. We know he's a preacher for that but what he loved to do is to preach the true humanity of christ mm. it's great I and mean, we talked about here a lot this is my opinion major flaw of modern day preaching preachers do not preach the true humanity of christ yeah. the true humanity of christ is a great encouragement to people that are suffering and going through pain um you you you're preaching through hebrews and so you have highlighted this already for us several times um it's a great blessing to us but he is not just a man, right? And so the the impression that's given just in these short videos is that um, he is. Though I don't think they would. If you go to their website, mm-hmm. there's more to it than that. Yeah. So they're hoping people go there. But even on that site, you've got some I think misrepresentations of who who, who he is. Mm-hmm. He's like uh, again, he's a he is set against the church in America, yeah. as if somehow. Everything here in America is all of our fault. Yeah, people are quick to do that, but they weren't quick to do that in the Roman Empire, though, were they, George? <laughs> were they? Is this a new thing? There's nothing new under the sun. You should know that from Ecclesiastes, Jay. Yeah, um, yeah. Rome was so bad, George, because it was the Christians' fault. Mm-hmm. But that's what people say about America today, right? Yeah. America is the way it is because the church is is been so disobedient for the past hundred years mm-hmm. maybe not yeah maybe not would would yeah. you say the same thing about China or any other country right no so I just don't let's not let's not make commercials that pit 
uh, the church in America is somehow disobedient, but here's this kind of woke version of Jesus mm. that's accepting of everyone, even though I could show you five million pa- pa- passages where Jesus said things that would, uh, today would, you know, have the liberals screeching and calling for his banishment from Twitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it's hated you. Yeah. You, you can, you're not going to get the world to love Jesus. Right. It's not going to happen. So forget the campaigns that, that these type of com- these marketing campaigns. It's not going to do it. You you telling somebody about Jesus. That's that's what's going to do it. Mm. So does he get us, Jay? Does Jesus get us? He does. He he does get us. Um, Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He gets us. Yeah, he does. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Uh huh. And this comes after there's many people who believed on him. He didn't uh, entrust himself to them well, because he knew what was in them, right? And they, in that particular case, it's not real belief, right? Yeah, they see his signs uh-huh. and they they believe in him, right? Right. But he doesn't entrust himself because he knows what's in their hearts. Yep. Right. Yep. That's now he right. Do, he does. He sympath, he sympathizes with us in our weakness. He helps us when we're tempted. Because he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be a, a man. But he also, he he uh, he knows what's in us. Yeah. He, kno- he knows the sin that's in us. So he died for us so that those who would come to him, he would receive. The other thing about these two is it, um, it presents like the idea that the church won't associate with wicked people. Right. Or, or those, I say wicked, the, those that are outcasts on the margins of society. Mm. Those that are on the margins of society, uh, the, they say, the uh, you know, the church doesn't associate with them. They're so unlike Jesus. He associated with those on the margins of society. Those that weren't in power, didn't, didn't have power and influence. Um, okay, well, who has that in our society? It's not the church. We're on the margins of society, friend. We are. Those of us who believe that um, the best thing for a child is to be raised by their mother and father, (laughs) we, friend, are on the margins of society. Mm -hmm. We are the outcasts of society. We're the nothings. Guess who's on the side of the nothings? Jesus, right? The LGBTQ power mafia, that's what they are. They're the power mafia. Um, you're not the oppressed of society anymore. Not that you ever were, but you're definitely not. Mm. So don't think don't think that uh, Jesus is on your on your team because you're oppressed. Um, they might not be burning us on fire. They might not be lighting us up on fire yet. But you can't you can't just go into any any big corporation in America and fly your Christian flag. Try it. Put a Christian flag on your email and blast it out to everybody and announce to the world that you're a Christian. See what happens to you in corporate America. You can put rainbow flags and announce to everyone in corporate America that you're now either gay or you're now trans. And guess what's going to happen to the HR department? They'll probably have a party for you. They'll probably have a party for you and celebrate you. You can't do that if you're a Christian. Um, So things have been flipped. 
And that's good. That's a good thing, because you know what? The church is at its best from a position of weakness. Yep. That's where we're at our best. Right. Where we don't have anything but God. Rant over. (laughs) You want to shut it down? (laughs) How am I supposed to shut it down after that, Jay? I don't know. You got to figure it out. That's my my problem. (laughs) Jay's already halfway out the door. All right. Well, hopefully this has been helpful. I like your mic right there in the on the screen. <laughs> if this has been helpful for you, please make sure to like, subscribe, share. Um, if we haven't driven you off by our antics yet, hopefully we'll see you again on Text Driven Tuesday as Jay uh, continues through the book of Ecclesiastes. Until then, we hope you have a good weekend and we'll see you next time. Bye.